coming out of the pandemic and all that has happened for the last couple of years, where I noticed with our clients from all over the world, this sense that people wanted a change. They wanted to live a more meaningful, purposeful life. You are listening to Amplifier Success Podcast, episode 335. And today I've got a guest joining us to talk about little shifts in your communication that massively increase your impact. You ready for this? Let's get started. Welcome to the Amplify Your Success Podcast. Get ready to ramp up your revenue, amplify your impact, and make your mark in the world. This is the show for experts, thought leaders, and service professionals who want to shatter their limits and achieve that next level. You're going to find out from other experts and influencers how they made it. Now, let's get Amplified. Hey there, inspired entrepreneurs and business leaders. It's your host, Melanie Benson, authority amplifier and possibility igniter for expert-based entrepreneurs. And today, I have such a unique and powerful guest. Cannot wait to share him with you. Just so many chill moments as I spoke with him and prepared today's conversation for you. And communication, it just takes me back to such an important, it's such an important piece of relationships in general. But when you think about being an impactor in the world, having something that you want to positively influence the lives of others, where you, you want to be able to use your message, your, you know, to be able to take what you've learned and share it in a way that people get, you are someone they need, especially ideal clients, right? It's like, there's so many ways our communication is consciously and unconsciously influencing and impacting others. It's just, it's such an important part of the puzzles. Before I bring our guest up, I want to remind you, I want to check in with you and how you feel your authority is positioned in the world. Now, does authority make you go, ew? <laughs> does, uh, do you recognize that really like sharing your expertise in a way that others get why you is a powerful part of their decision-making process. It's like being able to stand out in a very crowded market gives you a visibility advantage. And part of that is allowing others to see the authority you have around your body of work, around the experience that you have. So there is a very powerful advantage to claiming your authority and using some very simple things to get it out there in the world. And if you are not quite sure how your authority is being experienced or how it's showcased in the world, I would highly recommend that you take my very quick two-minute quiz on how to monetize your authority. So if you head to melaniebenson.com forward slash authority quiz, this very, very fast quiz is going to give you some major insight into how your authority is either working for you or not working for you at all. And the results might just give you a major surprise. And when you really understand how to showcase your authority in a way that feels congruent and authentic to you, your communication and your impact is going to elevate exponentially. All right, head over to MelanieBenson.com forward slash authority quiz, and let's see how your authority is working for you or not. 
Okay, let's get into today's episode. Welcome back, Amplifiers. It's Melanie Benson here, your host, and I have a really extraordinary guest joining us today. We're going to be talking about how to actually increase your impact and transform your future, but in a totally unique way. Let me give you a little background on our guest, Richard Newman. So Richard is an award-winning expert in leadership communication, storytelling, and influence, and the founder of a body of work called UK Body Talk, the global leader in evidence-based training on the science of communication. Now, Richard is uh, known as an introvert on the autism spectrum, and he's dedicated decades to understanding and improving communication for himself and his clients. Now, before I bring him on, there's just, I want to go a little bit deeper in some of his background because he, he's just got so much fascinating uh, work he's done in the world. He's created one of the largest studies on nonverbal communication and influence. And it was published, it's a published body of work in the scientific journal Psychology. He's also the author of best selling book, You Were Born to Speak. And some of his clients include Virgin, Microsoft, Expedia, 3M, the London Business School. I could go on and on. Check out his bio in the show notes. But Richard, I'm so excited to have you join the show today. Thank you, thank you, thank you for being here. And thank you for bringing this work to the world. It's so needed. Thanks, Melanie. Yeah, I really appreciate that. And thank you for the intro. I'm looking forward to uh, having a conversation about it. Me too. Well, first of all, you're coming to us from the UK today. Where in the UK are you? Uh, I'm just outside uh, London, just sort of on the west side. So for people to picture it, uh, there's a big area just uh, behind my house called Burnham Beaches, which is 500 acres of ancient woodland where they mm. filmed some of the elements of Harry Potter, just to give you a sense of where I am. How fun. And you had some other fascinating uh, life tidbits. At 18, I was reading about you on your website. Um, at 18, you went to live with Tibetan monks. I'm fascinated by this, especially at such a young age, what the inspiration for that was and how that ended up influencing the work you're doing today. Yeah, well, I realized when I was at school, I realized that I had a challenge with communication, that I just wasn't able to uh, do the same sort of, uh, you know, back and forth banter and rapport building that other people were doing. C communication was confusing to me. And so I really started studying it around about the age of 16. I started reading books around body language, uh, nonverbal side of communication. And uh, then but around the age of 17, 17 and a half, there was uh, a guy who used to be at our school who came back to do a lecture about what he'd done since. And I knew that almost everybody in my school was expected to go to university. And he said, look, if you're not going to do that, here's something else you could do. He said that he had gone off and he'd gone to Kathmandu to work in an orphanage. And he described this adventure. And I thought, wow, that sounds amazing. And I was really inspired by the abil ability to go and give something back because I really felt that I had, uh, you know, experienced a really easy and luxurious life compared to much of the rest of the world. So I wanted to be able to go and do something useful. And so I put myself forward to an organization and they said, well, there's this monastery that we have heard wants a teacher. They've never had a teacher before, but um, we could, you know, put you in touch and you could go out there to do this. And I thought the ability to go and work on communication, teach these monks to help them connect with the outside world would be extraordinary. And so I went off, I had never actually gone overseas without my parents before just to give you an idea about how naive I was at this point. And so I flew to India. It took me about two days of traveling from Delhi across to the northeast side to find this monastery. 
And when I did, I was struck by this big challenge that these monks didn't speak a word of English. And there I was to teach them English. I, I couldn't speak their language. They couldn't speak mine. And so we had to use body language and tone of voice just to connect, just to communicate uh, with each other. And by the end of six months of me living with them, they were able to have a good conversation in English. And I had learned pretty fluent Nepali, which was the main language of the area that I was uh, in. And uh, ever since, it's really... Um, put me in good stead of understanding communication that on the nonverbal side, if you're really congruent in your communication, if your body language, tone of voice and words are working together, that you can be a much more effective communicator. And it helped me then and it still helps my clients in business today. That is fascinating. And, you know, I'm so aware that at 18, you know, you're taking this huge, bold risk to go somewhere you've never been before without your parents outside the country. And it wasn't like you went to France. You know, you went to a whole <laughs> yeah. different culture, right? Yes, and so yeah. kudos to you. And I, I know this probably influenced your work deeply. And it, it you know, you were teaching English, right? Is that how I remember the story is uh, you were teaching yes, exactly. the, the monks English. Wow. Wow. So, okay, I'm going to unpack that more in a minute. But I also want to touch on something before we move on, because you shared that you're an introvert on the autism spectrum. And I have um, quite a few members of my family I married into that are on the autism spectrum. And I recognize that communication and understanding people's body language and, um, you know, the the social cues that many of us uh, take for granted and just accept might be confusing to someone on the autism spectrum. And now you've brought this this body of work into many companies uh, about teaching communication and teaching, I'm assuming something to more to do with like how our body is part of communication. Can you tell us more about this and how all that sure. came together? Because I'm fascinated and inspired, by the way, I have to say I'm very inspired. Great. Thanks. Yeah, there, I, there was an interesting study that I saw about uh, communication, which really helped me understand what I've been experiencing, because I, I was only diagnosed uh, just over a year ago, and so uh -huh. at the age of 44. And so it suddenly then made sense of so much that had happened in my life before that I've been processing since then. But this study that I heard about uh, said that if you take two autistic people and you get them to communicate, they can do it really well with each other. And if you take two neurotypical people, they can communicate well with each other. The challenge comes when neurotypical people are aiming to communicate with autistic people. And then suddenly, you know, uh, the challenge comes up. And so the way that this has been an asset to me in my life is that uh, I'm able, if you like, to view neurotypical behavior as an outsider. So I can put on the lens, if you think about it like a, a nature documentary presenter who is observing uh, animals in the world, wild, uh, interacting with each other, seeing what behaviors work and seeing what behaviors don't, and then sort of reporting back on it. And that's what it's felt like to me for many years of really trying to figure out, well, what is it that neurotypical people are doing that is, that is working, that helps them have presence, that helps them have gravitas, that helps them bring a story to life in a way that is engaging people and can make uh, complex ideas concise and compelling. What are they doing and what are they doing that's not working? What are the repeated habits that I'm seeing that I can pick up on where I can notice that, that that's not resonating well? And so all of this, by being able to observe it through this unique lens, if you like, 
led me to a point where I was teaching these techniques that I had put together uh, to our clients, but we really wanted to get a piece of research to prove it. And so in 2016, after 18 months of working with the head of psychology at the University College of London, we put together a piece of research that was then published, as you mentioned, in the journal Psychology, where uh, we involved more than 2,000 people, and we were sharing with them videos of people speaking to them, and looking to see if someone makes a small change in their behavior, can that change how much they are able to influence you or how much they're able to convince you and so on. And the results we got were really extraordinary. So such that it, we found that if you make a small change from the most common habits that neurotypical people and everybody has uh, sort of day to day, and you shift that across to what are the most effective habits, you can say the same words, you can wear the same clothes, you can be the same person, doesn't matter what your gender is, doesn't matter what your skin color is. Universally, we found that you can increase the number of people who are convinced by what you're saying by 42%. And you could even increase the number of people who would vote for you in an election by more than 57%, just by changing a couple of aspects of your behavior that we've been able to, to figure out through myself and my team. I now have this team of 20 people. We were sharing these techniques with people worldwide, and we were able to prove that this is working for people in all different cultures. Mm. Wow, that is so extraordinary. And so I would imagine this is where the um, influence piece comes in. You know, you're learning how to influence choice, behavior, um, maybe even decision making through some of these shifts in the way we might communicate. Mm. It, yeah, absolutely. And it's it's wonderful for me to work with people uh, and, and see them make a small shift that suddenly makes a dramatic difference for them. And that's what I've mm. always loved. I've always liked to really boil things down and pinpoint something they can do. So quite typically, I get people who will come to work with me and my team who'll say that they want to they want to stand out. They want to have the gravitas to lead a room, to lead a sales pitch, to lead a, a team or speak at a conference. And, you know, they, they've got all the qualifications. They've got the experience. But when they stand up to speak, they find that people are not really listening to them or engaging with them as they'd like them to. And very quickly, we can take a look at what they're doing. And for me, I think about it this way. I think that if you th imagine that communication, great communication skills, it's like a wall. It's like a perfectly built wall where all the bricks are in the right place. And what I've been able to, to do through the way I observe communication is I can look at someone speaking to me and I can say, okay, th these four bricks are missing. If we put those in, it's going to work. And you can say to the person, just slightly adjust your posture like this, adjust the way you use your gestures like this, slightly change the tone like this, and then uh, you can get them to speak to the same group of people who sit back and say, that, that's incredible. It's, it sort of looks like magic, but it isn't because it's, it's a simple proven process. Hmm. Fascinating. Okay, so here's where I'm getting a little curious, Richard. I know, uh, and I'm glad you brought up the speaking because I could could imagine that learning how to communicate with your, um, you know, your very unique body of work from a stage would bring that command of power and and really help people stand in their confidence and be able to tell stories and inspire and influence. Can that be translated into the voice? And the way we speak when we're maybe in an audio experience like this mm. as an interview. Yeah. So uh, one quick tip that people can think about, which is so practical, which they can use for you know conversations with someone, is that the way that you move your body is translated into sound uh, such that if you think about simply how you use your gestures. So if you if you want to sound 
really motivational and highly excited, then what you need to do is have these quick, fast, choppy gestures that suddenly add extra emphasis to more of the words, and you can feel that they're picking up in, in speed and energy. Whereas if you simply change your gestures, don't even think about anything else. So let's say that you're recording an audio podcast or you're speaking to someone important on the phone. If you slow down your gestures and you imagine you're stroking two large dogs, one on either side of you, then when you do that, it slows down the pace of your voice. It, it eases out the sense of tension in your body and it allows you to feel more calm and more relaxed. And uh, I actually put this into practice going back a few years, just reminded me of a story where there was a pharmaceutical company that we were working with in the UK and they were really enjoying our work. The head of the Australian team came over and he saw what, he did, what we did and he said, you must come and speak to me about training my, my group in Australia. And I did a pitch with him and my natural way of speaking is relatively quick and uh, with a bit of intensity about it. And he was uh, very typically Australian, very laid back. Like, I'm not going to do the accent, but super chilled, very relaxed. And so our, uh, our, our pace, if you like, of speaking just didn't align. And I got the sense in the meeting that he felt we're just not on the right wavelength for him and his team. Anyway, he called me back a year later and he said, Richard, I have tried working with two different organizations in Australia, trying to mimic what it is you're producing in the UK. It hasn't worked. I want you to pitch to me again because we want to fly you guys out here. And so I thought, okay, here's what I'm going to do to try and win this. I, I scheduled the call. We were just talking earlier about sort of time zones and you know lining things up. I scheduled the call where it was 10 p.m. my time. So I, I would be relatively relaxed at that point. I put on my pajamas. I sat in my office with my feet up on my desk in my slippers. And when this guy called me, I made a point of just moving one of my arms very softly gliding through the air to slow down my pace. So I could think, okay, I'm just going to give him a relaxed pitch. Just take it easy. Don't get stressed. And uh, it, we got a, an email the next day from him saying, we want to work with you. You clearly understand what we need. And, you know, there's no definitive proof that the gestures and the tone of voice made that shift. But, but for me, it certainly helped him to feel that we, you know, we understood what his team would need. That's so cool. I'm, I'm thinking of the body of work that I studied was neurolinguistic programming. And I know one of the things mm -hmm. that really builds rapport is to match the cadence and the yeah. the energy that someone's speaking in. And, and it's, it's almost like that's your version of it, which is such mm -hmm. a powerful way to build rapport. So I love that yeah. you shared that example. You have published a new book and I am deeply excited about this book and I actually can't wait to read it. As soon as it's available, I'm going to be uh, <laughs> downloading it for myself. But it focuses on this body of work and how that, you know, helps people step into being a change maker. Mm. I'm really curious if you could give us some examples and share a little bit more about how do people embody this work that you you are bringing to the world and really up their game as a change maker? Because and let me just say a little backstory. I actually believe that many people who are put on this planet to make a change and they've got a body of work or they've learned a lesson or they've they've figured something out that could really solve problems on a bigger scale, but they're holding themselves back. They're so in their head. There's so much fear around it that they don't they don't let their their superpowers be out there in a bigger way. So I'd love to hear your take on that. 
Yeah, so I mean, I, I wrote this book uh, really coming out of the pandemic and all that has happened for the last couple of years, where I noticed with our clients from all over the world, this sense that people wanted a change. They wanted to live a more meaningful, purposeful life, and they wanted to feel a deeper state of connection with other people. We also know from, uh, there was a survey that we worked on uh, recently in, in the UK, where we surveyed uh, a couple of thousand people, and we found that people's ability to connect with each other and to communicate their confidence in that has significantly gone down, and the conflicts at work have significantly gone up. Mm -hmm. And so I created this this work because I, I realized that so many people are leaving the workplace, they are starting up their own businesses, there was a 51% surge in the number of people starting new businesses during the course of sort of 2020 and 2021, leaving the workforce and wanting to go and do something else. And I've also noticed over the last couple of decades of training people around the world that often you can get someone who has got great knowledge, incredible experience, but they just haven't been able to find their voice and make their their vision their dream come into reality so i thought i want to put together a book that does everything that you would need to take your potential and transform your future in the way that you want to so there are some books out there that sort of help you with mindset some that do a bit of goal setting some that do communication i thought let me put all of that together so if you want to be a change maker this is how you do it and so i realized from working with people for so many years sometimes i can teach them communication skills that help but if their mindset isn't in the right place then it's very hard to get the payoff from that piece and so the initial part that i was working on there is how to make sure that people can be a rock in the storm so that they can thrive no matter what is happening around them and this over the last couple of years has been the biggest request certainly that i've worked on in my team for clients all over the world of working on that mindset piece because of all the chaos we've gone through the stress we've had not knowing what's going on with politics and the economy and are we locked down in our houses or can we go out and do other things and so there's a big piece in there of just getting yourself to that place where you feel ready to take on the world then once you've done that the next step that you need to do is to realize if you have a dream if you've got a vision where you want to be a change maker, you're going to have obstacles in the way, which are people uh, who you need to uh, corral around your idea, maybe uh, objections that you need to overcome, uh, relationships that you need to build so that your, your dream can become a reality. And so the next phase, once you've got your mindset right, is then to influence others. And the final phase that I've always found fascinating is who is it that ends up being super successful and who doesn't? And what I've noticed through that time, what I guide people through, is that there are pivotal things you can focus on and there are pedestrian things you can focus on. And some people will do one or the other, but very rarely people do both. But what I mean by that is if somebody wants to be a change maker, they might think, okay, what I need to do is that I need to get interviewed by Oprah. That would be the big thing. I have to do that thing. And then they'll constantly try and get that interview to happen. Uh, whereas other people will focus on pedestrian tasks. They'll think, in my business, what I need to do is to hit my KPIs this week. That's, I've just got to work and work and work until I do that. And they don't ever end up getting to their, their, their dream, their outcome that they'd really love to have. What you need to have if you want to succeed is to have both of those things happening. Doing the pedestrian work day in, day out, that allows you to earn the pivotal pieces that will happen. But making sure that you know what those are. If you think, okay, I'd like to be interviewed by Oprah or somebody similar at some point, what are the things I would need to do in order to deserve that opportunity to come to me uh, one day? So I put all these pieces together and uh, this culminated in me starting to run retreat 
retreats last year where I could go super deep with people on all of these strategies, on all these techniques and put it to life and bring it to life for them. And I have to say for me, it was the most fulfilling thing I've ever done professionally was to run this retreat that is uh, four days and taking people and completely immersing them such that by the end of that experience, they come out, they've done the mindset piece, they've worked on their influencing, they've worked on their future and they're ready to go out and be a change maker with everything that they would like to achieve. Mm. I'm glad that you shared about the retreats because a question was forming in my mind about, you know, sometimes we know things, but integrating them into our being and like doing them from this automatic place and doing the right things, like it takes immersion. So sounds like your retreats are how you do that. That's fascinating. You mentioned a word that's uh, kind of one of my favorite uh, areas of improvement, and that's mindset. So you mentioned like sometimes we have to shift the mindset. And so I'm curious, what do you mean by mindset? Because not everybody has the same definition. And, you know, like we've been through such challenging times these last few years. And, you know, I think some people have no shortage of challenging times in their lives. They're constantly in challenging times. So what how do we like tap into the right mindset to navigate challenging times? Yeah. So I mean, when I talk about uh, mindset, I essentially come at it from the, the perspective of how do you prime yourself and your state ready to be the best version of you in the moments that really matter? And that's the part that I focused on. And I think I focused on this so much because, uh, you know, I've had the great privilege of working on big stages for the last you know, 23 years of doing this work. And uh, so for, for myself, I had to get over my own fear of public speaking to begin with, just to be able to, you know, get up on stage in front of 100, then 500, then 1,000 people uh, in front of me. And so I was working on lots of strategies to go from uh, a fear of uh, public speaking to being confident on stage and then other people would come to me and ask the, uh, how could they thrive in those situations but also how could they thrive in an important job interview or an important meeting or an important conversation with a member of their family how do they get there and so one of the big pieces that i work on with people is around a state something that they can really control is internal validation and what i mean by that is that in society at the moment the piece that i that i worry about for people in general but also because i'm i'm a parent and i have you know two young kids who are coming up to that age where they they're asking about smartphones and getting onto social media we're in an age where people tend to do a lot of seeking of external validation and uh, this always sort of rises a laugh when i'm talking about it with an audience but i'll say to them you know, just uh, raise a hand if you've ever posted something on social media and then you've checked it 12 minutes later to see how many likes you're getting. And uh, if it's got less than a thousand likes, you're like, oh, this is just not good enough. And uh, so that's us seeking external validation. But we also seek that validation when we give in a piece of important work to our boss and we're sort of hoping for compliments back. Or if we are hoping to get a hug from our child before they leave the house uh, to, to go to school. So there's moments where sometimes we want external validation. And if we place our, our mindset based around you know what's happening externally, then we're not in control of it. And we can feel like a, a a ball in a pinball machine and it doesn't feel very comfortable. So I wanted to get to a place where people, despite everything around them, sort of controlling them and bouncing them around, they could have a sense of internal validation that would allow them to be a rock in a storm. And one of the simplest ways that you can do this is to get very clear 
on your key values and values by this i mean that you know we all have sort of principles that we want to live our lives by and there might be sort of 20 to 30 of these that are relatively important to you and it's, it's just a lot to keep in your mind at one time so i work with people around their top three values what are the three things that they want to live their life by core values or principles which could be a statement it could be a couple of words around it and uh to make sure that they are very clear on what they are and then they focus on them at the start of each day they focus on them before an important conversation and the reason this is so powerful there's a great piece of research done in 2015 which was uh, around this protocol uh, in science called the triosocial stress test and Cresswell and Sherman put together like a series of experiments and what they found in there is that if people spend 15 minutes priming themselves around their top values and they give themselves uh, full internal validation before an important event, then you can chemically measure what happens to them. So their adrenaline levels are lower, their cortisol stress hormone levels are lower and their heart rate is lower when they are going through a stressful situation than people who haven't done this. And so if you want to feel more confident and create a better impression on other people, then getting really clear on who am I how do I want to guide my life? How am I going to guide critical decisions? And by doing that, it means that you can be proud of what you do, no matter what happens during the day. If you didn't achieve your to-do list that day, if you didn't hit your KPIs that week, you can still be proud of yourself thinking, I lived by my core values. Hmm. I love that. What a, what a powerful way to realign your mindset is just coming back to what is important to you. Like, who do you want to be known as? What, how do you want to be experienced in the world? And that's oftentimes, at least in my experience, where our values become our compass. So that's yeah. great. I love it. Oh, I want to take a pause here for a second. Uh, would you share with our audience how people can find out more about your work and um, you know, this new book that's dropping, mm -hmm. uh, how do they get access to it? So uh, the, the new book is called Lift Your Impact, and you can go to liftyourimpact.com and find out lots of information uh, there. And specifically, the book is liftyourimpact.com forward slash the book. So you can just mm -hmm. go on there. You can find out lots of information. And uh, there's also an opportunity, if people are interested, where they can uh, tick a box on the page where they get to download the first 25 pages uh, of the book, because I was really keen to get this piece out. That includes, actually, that first part of the book includes the piece around values, if that's piqued people's interest and they want to have a go on that. What I was really pleased about with this book, that the editor uh, and the publishers are allowed me to do is I've turned it into a workbook so that uh, you know people can really make their way through it, make notes, take part in it, make it their own, uh, and really get value as they're reading each page. Hmm. Thank you. Uh, we'll link that up in the show notes for you. And I, I'm uh, honestly, I'm very excited to uh, get the book myself. <laughs> so I can't wait to read it because this, this, this is the work that I live for. So this, this is very exciting. Um, this is the time where I'd like to ask some fun questions about you and help our audience get to know you better. And I'm just a super curious person by nature. And I always like to know, like, what is the boldest thing you ever did that amplified the success of your business? Hmm. Oh, gosh, that's, that's really interesting. I mean, I think 
that we've, we've covered the story about the monks uh, already, but that, that has to be the boldest. And I think just to put that into context for people, the funny thing about that situation is all of my friends were going to university. And I, I found out, I think the day before I left for that trip, that they had all placed a bet on how soon I was going to come home with my tail between my legs. And the longest bet that anybody had placed on me was 10 days. And just bear in mind, I was supposed to be away for six months. I actually ended up staying away for eight months. Um, but but, uh, you know, when I stepped onto this airplane, I, I sort of um, I went off, flew off to India. When I, when I landed, it, just landing in Delhi is quite an experience. It certainly was back in 1995 when, when I was there. And then to go up through the foothills of the Himalayas, seeing, you know, monkeys uh, on the side of the road, to find this monastery and to realize I am way out of my comfort zone. I am way out of my depth here. I don't know how this is going to go. But uh, it, what kept me going, honestly, the first few days where I was really homesick is I thought, I have to beat this bet. I have to be here 11 days at least. Otherwise, they all win. I have to prove them wrong. And so proving them wrong led me to a point, what I really gained from that trip, and this is where I'd recommend if, if anybody has a, a teenager who's thinking about doing a, a gap year experience or some big adventure, I'd always encourage them to do it. And the reason being, it just gave me a sense of confidence, of independence, of being able to take on big challenges and succeed uh, in doing them. And that has stayed with me in business of thinking, you know, we're really here to, to live this life, to experience as much as we can, to serve other people as much as we can, and so it makes sense to, you know, really passionately embrace life and do things, even if other people think that they're risky. And so when I started my business, nobody thought that it was going to work. There was actually somebody at a wedding <laughs> once who came up to me and said, what do you do? I said, I run this company called Body Talk. We teach things like body language. And he literally spat out his drink on the floor in front of me because he thought it was so hilarious. Then went to find a group of friends who he dragged over and said, tell them what you do. Tell them what they do. And they all laughed at me because in the early stages of running it nobody thought that it was going to succeed friends family members nobody but it did succeed partly because i thought belligerently i'm going to make this work i can see the value of what i'm doing here and i'm just going to keep on doing it until it gets better until until it builds so i think you know having that bold confident mindset from a sense of adventure that i had uh in my teenage years has really put me in good stead that's a great story and so um amplifiers as you're listening in i want you to hear in between the lines, what Richard's saying is when you commit and you have like this desire to um, like, like accomplish something, don't give up on it just because everybody else says it's not going to work. You have to know intrinsically that you're all in on something. And I, I think that was a great example of that. Okay. Last question. If you look back on time from today Having a business is making such an impact in the world. You've worked with some amazing companies, some amazing leaders. Is there one thing that you now know was so impactful, but you wish you would have done it sooner? Um, that's a really good question. Uh, what do I wish I'd done sooner? I think the, the piece that comes to mind uh, is a phrase that you know maybe people will be familiar with, but it's something that stuck with me. I learned this at a conference maybe 10 years ago, and I thought, oh, that's not going to apply to me. Then uh, the phrase was, the thing that kills your business is it's not the person that you hire, it's the person you fail to fire. And I thought, well, I, I would really need to know about that because I'm surrounded by people I love working with and everything's fantastic. And uh, I got to a point that was a very serious crunch time in my business where 
um, I was having to go from a young guy who just had a hobby that got bigger to, to actually stepping into that position of leadership and doing, making the hard choices uh, around what to do. And I, I wish that I'd listened to that advice and taken the decision sooner rather than later uh, around that. And I think I've also heard it said, you know, you should hire slowly and fire quickly. And I think that that can be critical too. It, you know, much like it can feel like having to rip off the Band-Aid. Uh, it feels painful in the process, but it's, it's better actually than going down the other path. So you've really got to be careful about who you have on your team, and make the right decision for everybody on that team. Uh, because if you don't, then it can turn into a much bigger problem. Yeah, well said. I've certainly had my dances with that, so I can can relate. I'm glad you shared that. Richard, thank you so much for being here. Good luck with getting that book out in a bigger way. I'm glad we get to be a part of it. And again, as you're listening in, uh, check out the show notes. And I really encourage you to go at least download the introductory pages to lift your impact. I have a feeling this is a game-changing book and you're going to want to get the whole book. So thank you, Richard. Many thanks. Thanks for tuning in today, Amplifier. Be sure to join us right now in the Amplify Your Authority community at authorityamplifiers.com, and I'll share my seven proven tips to be a highly paid expert that stands out in a crowded market. Plus, we're going to keep this conversation going, and I want to hear from you how you're going to amplify your authority and make a greater impact. Before you go, please take a minute to give our show and our guests some love over on your favorite podcasting platform. Subscribe, rate, and review. Leave your full name, and I'll spotlight you and your authority on social media. 